Welcome to Gays with Kids, a podcast about creating and raising families together. I'm Gays with Kids associate editor and writer, Britt Smith. This week, we're going to hear the story of Malcolm Cuthbert, a gay dad and former British police officer who eventually left the force after he learned about other officers who would entrap gay men and prosecute them during the 1980s. Malcolm is now an out gay dad of four, and he and his husband live together in Southeast England. He's also a wealth management director who advocates for more inclusivity in his industry and beyond. You can head on over to gazewithkids.com to read more about Malcolm's experience and find Gaze with Kids on social media to see photos of him and his gorgeous family. But for now, we hope you enjoy this discussion with former police constable and proud gay dad, Malcolm Cuthbert. Um, yes, I was a police officer before I came out. Um, it was very tough indeed because I was, how old was I? I was 21 when I joined and I really didn't know that I was gay, I don't think. Or I didn't really, I wasn't prepared to admit it. I think that's the truth of it at that point. So I was struggling with my own sexuality at the same time I was in the police force. Now this is quite some time ago, Britt, as you can tell by my old age. Um, <laughs> back in the 80s and... Um, yeah, the, the, the police force then was very, to be blunt, it was very sexist, racist, misogynistic, um, and homophobic. Mm. You know, all those things combined, very, very much so. Um, I think to be a woman in the force then was very difficult, but it was the same was true uh, of being gay as well. Mm. So, yeah. And and when was it that you? sort of started going down to Soho. I, I read your article and um, I'm interested. <laughs> I used to go there when I was a, when I was a <laughs> naughty teenager as well. Yeah, Soho is yeah. just known as the place to go if you wanted to break free a little bit. What was that like for you? It is. Yeah, well, it was all very seedy, you know. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't really – I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I knew I was looking for something. And um, – yeah, it was just like experimenting, really. You know, I think so many friends of mine have talked about the same thing. And in fact, my husband, my now husband, did exactly the same thing. He hit London at 17 hmm. and, and discovered Soho. And then he just suddenly realized this is who I am. You know, this is what I am. And I'm not, you know, the single gay kid from Aberdeen. And the same the same was true of me. But the thing about it then was it was it was all illegal. You know, it was all illegal, hmm. you know, that... that so not so I remember sh shaking with fear. Can you believe? I actually remember shaking with fear in going into some of the gay places I knew to be gay, and and I didn't want to be seen, even though you know it was unlikely that anything would be traced back. It was real, real inner fear I had of go of doing anything which could be pinned on me, and and could could lose my career basically. So absolute fear and terror. Actually, terror is a better word. I was terrified. <laughs> Being found out, yeah. like, even although I was beginning to think, well, this is who I am. I could, but I couldn't, I couldn't really get beyond much further than that because it was illegal. My job would be on the line if I was discovered. And at that time, Soho, Soho was has always been and still is a little bit a bit seedy. So there's that element to it as well, a bit of seediness and a bit of you know, and, and the fear and the terror. Uh, but at the same time, discovery. You know, I was discovering who I was, my sexuality. What were the laws at the time when you joined the force? Uh, yeah, there was an offence of gross indecency, uh, which was an offence. So, so uh, Roy Jenkins in 1968 liberalised um, sex between two men. 
never illegal between two women. I've always, I'm always staggered when I think about this, that wow. sex between two women has never been illegal. Isn't that incredible in this country? Never, ever been illegal. Wow. But the, the gross indecency offence came about because Roy Jenkins got it passed that two men could have sex together. That's, that was legal in 68. Um, but it had to be uh, two men, no more than two men. There were three rules. Two men over 21 and in private. Those were the three things. Then you could be you could be arrested and charged with the offence of gross indecency. What did the, was that hand holding, kissing? Was it any kind of affection? Uh, not really. No, it was normally hard on that. It was it was anything from interural contact through to full sex, basically. So yeah, absolutely. Interural contact was defined because I had to look this up. It was entwining off legs. I know, interural contact. There you go, you can Google it. But but that was part of the offence. So not hand-holding, but something a bit more than that you had to be doing. As a police officer at the time, you saw the other side of that, not just being a a gay man, but being somebody that that watched fellow officers entrap and and arrest people. Absolutely. Um, The police force I was... um, in then was doing entrapment uh, and the reason they were doing it and this is a very common thing in police things you know if you're on cid and you can you can wrap up and close a certain number of cases easily and efficiently it pushes up your overall rates you know if you think about it and so you know it was a crime and therefore and it was a crime which didn't need anything other than the witness a police witness and that's it mm. you know so so actually, it was really interesting in terms of if you look at the number of people convicted of gross indecency, it actually went up in the 70s and 80s, uh, even although, you know, it had been liberalised under Roy Jenkins, because the police saw this as quite an easy one to 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 go after, frankly. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of it. But it was also a moral thing. Uh, you know, at that time, you know, Margaret Thatcher came to power as prime minister in, in 1979, and she... I think there was this moral thing. We've got to stop these these corrupt men. You know, this this was this was this is a moral um, view coming through in politics and the police as well. We've got to stop this happening. So I think it was a mix of CID chiefs saying, "Well, let's let's get loads of convictions. It's an easy one to convict and get through the courts. You know, it's a hundred percent clear up rate. You know, because they they record the crime and they they charge someone with that criminal act." 100% clear up rate. So it looks great. Mm. So, and the combination of this moral thing as well of let's, let's get these people who are immoral, you know. That was, I mean, it's very strange talking about it to you. I'm really conscious, just as I'm saying this, doesn't that sound weird? It sounds incredibly discriminatory and predatory. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. And what they were doing in my force, again, okay, in entrapment terms, was they were using young police constables at that, at that time, you could become a police constable when you were 18 and a half. And they would, they had cadets who would go in at 16 and do two years training, then become police constables at 18 and a half. So they'd send them out to urinals and the public toilets and have other police officers spying on them. And, and quite often, middle-aged married men would come along, be entrapped, and you know, you've, got, you've got your witness there, and they'll be arrested and charged, and that's it. What? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. What? Where was this? What? This is this is this in London and the southeast, which is where I was actually in Hertfordshire, 
Yeah, it was happening there and then uh, routinely. And the other thing about this as well, Britt, is that a lot of these a lot of these men were married, you know, because there was nowhere for them to go, you know, as, as a lot of gay men got married, you know, you know, for all sorts of reasons, social pressure and so on. Mm. And and there were cases of I'm I'm sure you could research this, there were cases of suicide where men were being charged and trapped, charged with gross indecency, and then committing suicide because they couldn't stand the thought of their families and their wives and everybody else finding out. What was that like for you as an officer? Well, I, f- I felt incredibly conflicted. I mean, as it happens, I never were, was involved in any of these operations. Um, I, was, I was a police constable on the beat. and That's much more CID sort of territory. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get much involved with CID. I was really on the foot, foot patrol mostly and cars. So um, I didn't get involved personally, but I heard about it. And I did think to myself, I realised that I could not... I could not have my life, my career, uh, in this sort of situation where I was arresting, potentially arresting people for an offence, which I didn't believe was an offence at all, Mm. which I could be guilty of myself, perhaps, you know. I mean, that's just pure hypocrisy. So I had a real conflict quite quickly. I mean, quite quickly, I just felt... I couldn't do it. Although I really wanted to be a police officer, I, I was actually on a, a scheme to develop me and move me on up, up the chart, up the pl- You know, I, I really wanted to do that. I really wanted to make it my career because I find it a very, very interesting. I really, it, it still is fascinating. In fact, I applied for it not so long ago again, um, but once again, that was that was rebuffed. But uh, you know, I really wanted to do it, so I was conflicted. But at, I, I, at the same time, I couldn't. I couldn't. Con- I couldn't. You know, there's a conflict in me, and I couldn't continue. I couldn't mm-hmm. continue with it, and I came to that decision. And I remember telling, actually, it was my shift sergeant. Uh, I didn't actually tell him I was gay, but I told him I, I was resigning and sort of tried to sort of hint at it. But, you know, he kind of got it. He kind of got it and understood that I was going to have to move on, you know. Mm. But, no, I, I, I felt terrible about it. And I, I it, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating looking back on it, but that's where it was. How many years were you on the force for in total? Oh, less than four years, less yeah. than four years. Yeah. And what did you end up going on to do after that? I went to work for a travel firm, a holiday company. Yeah, briefly. <laughs> Financial services as, as I'm there. Looking back at, at those few years with, with that experience in mind, yeah. and, and looking at the pride celebrations that we had in New York this year, and yeah. that they put a ban on police officers and police officers groups LGBTQ yeah. groups from marching in uniform. Yeah. What what is your opinion on that? What's your stance on on that ruling this year? Uh, it's just it's, it's 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 the wrong move. I'm sorry. Let people be proud of who they are and what they are. Let them wear uniform. Let the whole world see it. Because you know, you, you, out there there is still a, a lot of homophobia. A lot, you know. Uh, we, as a family, we went to a pride event in 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 our town, local town, local pride at the weekend, and it was it was a great atmosphere. It was a great atmosphere. But I know around here in Southeast Kent, you know, there, it's quite homophobic. There's a lot of people who don't think, you know, gays can have kids or have families. You know, um, it's, it's definitely the case. So, in answer to your question, yeah, I think they're wrong. I think you should be allowed to 
wear your uniform and walk with pride and, and say who you are and what you are. And I don't think that should be stopped. And I think it's a retrograde. Very often you see these small little moves, don't you? I mean, Hungary has just bought in something very similar to Section 28. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of Section 28 in the no. UK. Margaret Thatcher and her government introduced something called Section 28, which made illegal the promotion of homosexuality and, and the education of, of LGBT plus type stuff within classrooms and schools and university. And, and what happened then was it, it kind of put a, it put a blanket over the whole thing and smothered it, you know, and just made it impossible for gay people to come out and be and be what they want to be. And, and I, Hungary's just introduced that. And that just reminds me of what happened in the 80s. And that, by the way, Section 28, I've just checked it the other day. It was only reversed in 2003. This law was only reversed in 2003 in the UK. It's wow. only quite recently happened. Yeah, yeah. So it's shocking it's, to hear how long these laws go on for unchecked. They do. They do. I mean, going back to the offence of gross indecency and all of that, that went through in Parliament back in the late 19th century. And it went through late at night. It's called it's called La Boucher Amendment. Again, I've just researched this um, a few years back. And it was passed by this bunch of fairly drunk MPs who, who just pushed it through. There wasn't really a lot of debate about it. And there wasn't a lot of demand for this regulation either. Wow. Um, but it is taken until, you know, quite recently to get it overturned and all the rest of it. And to get even further than that and get to gay marriage, which personally I think is really important, mm-hmm. you know, to get to that point where people can marry man or woman or person they love. You know, that's, that's to me very important. So you talked a little bit in your article about not seeing any role models that were like you when yeah. you were younger. And and you said one quote that really stood out to me in your article, that can stop you planning your future. Yeah. That, that really hit me because if you don't see a representation of yourself in all kinds of places, then you don't imagine yourself as that person. No. What do you think it means now to the younger LGBTQ community to be able to see you know, representation in all kinds of industries that maybe they weren't in, invited into before, or they were excluded from before? I think, I think it's essential. You know, when, when, I, when I started out as a teenage boy, um, I, I thought, I, I and mean, this is not uncommon, I thought I was the only person who was gay in the whole world. I thought I was just an aberration. There was no one else. There was nothing I saw anywhere. And on TV, you know... There was, there was a TV program I'm watching and it was talking about dirty old men. I didn't know what that meant, but it was actually a reference to, to this, this gay guy in this film or this TV series. And that was it. There was, there was, I can't think of a single person I saw then who was out and, and someone to be admired, you know. Mm. It's taken a long time for those role models to emerge, but I think there are a lot now, you know, maybe not in premier football you know there are some fields where we are sorely lacking anyone with the courage because it's still isn't it funny it still takes courage for someone in those those places where there's still a lot of homophobia it Mm. still takes a lot of courage to come out and none of them have done it yet but there are enough people you know in pop and and film and elsewhere who've come out who i do admire and i think you know um that's that's been great. People like Elton John, I think it's it's he's really significant figure for me, you yeah. know, because of 
what happened to him and how he came out. And he's a great role model. I think he's married and he's, he's done surrogacy and so on as well. It's fantastic. Do you know the first game pop idol that I really remember coming out from my generation, I was born in 86, um, yeah. was George Michael. But it was yeah. because he had been found in a, yeah. bar, a public bathroom and it splashed yeah. all over the news. And I yeah. remember that was really my first experience of finding that if you were gay, then you were going to be thrown out of the closet, yeah. you know, and it, yeah. and it was even back then in the, uh, in the, I guess it was the early nineties. Uh, I just, I remember thinking, whatever you're feeling, don't come out. And I'm bisexual. So I didn't say yeah. anything to anybody until my no. early thirties. No, no, you're quite right. And I think at that point it was, if you were found out, you know, you were thrown to the wolves, weren't you really? Mm. I mean, I, I had a, I had a, a friend of a friend, who was a policeman as well. I, I, I bought this newspaper, the News of the World. This must have been, when was this? It must have been late 80s. I bought the News of the World. And I found him, his name, PC such and such, in an affair with a transvestite vicar on page eight of this News of the World, which was a very, and it, you know, that was a publication which was interested in the salacious, that's fair to say. Let's mm-hmm. say. So every gay man and every, every person coming out, whether it was in the public toilet somewhere, wherever it was, it was a salacious thing. It wasn't mm. seen as something to aspire to. It's taken much longer to get to the point where you look at role models and you say, well, that, they've got a good life and I can follow that good life. I can have that life if I want it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the role model point is is essential. And there were none in the 1980s, really, at all. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when HIV came along. And that slammed the door again even further for, for a lot of us. You know, there's a very good film. I don't know if you've seen it called It's a Sin. Have, yeah. have you seen it? Okay, I really recommend it. It's about this young chap who, decide, who discovers he's gay in the early 80s. As it happens, he gets HIV. And it's just about the whole story about his friends and relationships and his family. Quite a sad film, but really, I, I recommend watching it because it will, it, it, if you can get hold of it, it's a, it's, it really brings back what it was like. That fear, that that you know, feeling that this is this is an evil thing to be, almost the evil thing. That, that's what it felt like. Mm. So I, was, I left in eighty eighty five, I think. But you know, I still the thing is, Brit, I stayed in the closet a lot longer than that. You know, I didn't mm. come out at the holiday company, and I didn't come out in financial services. Uh, really until the last this last job within the last six or seven years that's when I've been out and I've been doing interviews like this and I've been I've recently I've been doing an LGBTQ panel discussion within the company within St James's Place we've done this big thing and that's been absolutely and, and that's been done by a director of the business talking to us about stuff and that that to me is is amazing feeling to be in a uh, sort of accepted and welcomed and all the rest of it you know, mm. at that level, you know, that it feels such a big change to when I couldn't say anything about who I was. You know, I, even when you were so back in the nineties when I was working for this this company, you know, putting in death benefits, who do you want to get your pension or whatever it was if you died? Mm. I couldn't really put down a name because, you know, that would look if it was a man's name, and <laughs> you're giving yourself away. <laughs> it's so crazy it is crazy well you've seen a lot of change over the years and now yeah. you are married with four kids is that right four kids. yeah that's right oh my goodness well my dad I'm one of four and my dad always told me four kids was a lot of work so well done to you <laughs> uh tell me about how you formed your family 
Well, I, I met I met my husband, Ron, and, and we got married. And we both wanted to have children. Uh, and we actually went through the surrogacy process uh, in the States, in, in the United States. Uh, so we went out to California and we worked with um, a few sur- couple of surrogates who were absolutely brilliant and very, very supportive of what we were trying to do. Mm. And, and we, had, we actually had three, three live births because two of the kids are twins. The boys are, at, are identical twins. So, um, and those surrogates, I mean, they are, they are wonderful. They are wonderful women who supported us, me and Ron, in what we've been trying to do. And they are, we, they're still involved in the, the children's lives, you know, through, through, through um, Zoom or whatever, Zoom calls, you know, because we want them to be part of children growing up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, you know, we did try and do, I did try and do it in the UK, but UK legislation is not... It's still not uh, very uh, friendly towards uh, gay couples in particular who want to have families. You know, it's not it's mm. not permitted. You know, the United States depends on the states. I, I don't know if you know what the rules are, but it depends on which state you live in. But there are diff- various state rules. And but California has got a wonderful bit of legislation. I actually met the man who framed the original legislation, mm. which allowed IVF and surrogacy, and he and it's all well drafted and well thought through and it enables the you know the surrogate to be involved in the whole process and it's a very fair way of doing it mm. um, so yeah we have we had four four we have four wonderful children through through surrogacy how old are they all now um so the eldest finn is eight going on nine she's nine next month um kit is um six going on seven next month and the boys are six so um the twin boys are six so yeah, it's it's a lot to handle. Yeah. Yeah. And what was international surrogacy like for you? Was there a lot of complications? There's a lot of complications. I mean, you know, in the US, so so the Californian state law was well written and 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 we followed all of that. And you know, you get a pretty the court the Californian Superior Court gave a pre birth order to the hospital. So the hospital produced the birth certificate, and then with the birth certificate we could get a US passport. So that was relatively straightforward. Coming to the UK and immigration, it's a bit different. It's mm. a bit different. Yeah. They, they don't really like it. I mean, the, the, there is this um, legislation where you can go through the courts, but basically you have to start again with your child. The courts and English law does not recognize you as the parents. So even though you have an American birth certificate, a US or well, a Californian birth certificate in our case, which says parent one, parent two, you know, my name, Ron's name. English law then says, well, we don't recognise any of that at all. That's all irrelevant to what, 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 what you have to do in the UK. So you then have to apply to the court for what's called a parental order. And um, you have to go through the whole court process in, in, the, in the royal courts in the Strand in London. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having a barrister represent you if you've got enough money to do that. We didn't. <laughs> so we represented ourselves. And you have to take your child in, you know, your baby. You hold the baby yeah. up. Literally, you do. You do, seriously. You go in with a child. And we went into court the first time we did it. I remember really, really well. You know, we, went, we didn't really know what we thought, Ron and I thought, that, you know, if, 
if the court didn't like what we were saying or we'd got it wrong or something, they could take the child away and put the child in, in childcare or something like that. So Ron had a plan to run with Finn out of the court. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, he's was, was going to... That's well, we, really heartbreaking, honestly. <laughs> Who are going to make a run for it if they if they said you're not you're not you're not doing the right thing? But oh. and actually, what happened is Ron, the judge said to Ron, "Listen, you look you look. Are you okay? Are you okay?" She was very worried about Ron because he looked like he was like you know you can imagine, and and I wasn't too happy either. And and Ron said, "Well, I'm just terrified that you're going to take our baby away from us, you know." And she said, "Listen, whatever whatever happens, you need to know that's not going to happen. You're going to be mm. you're going to be safe." So she reassured us, which was she was a great judge actually. She reassured us that we were doing the right thing, and took us through the whole thing. And Sounds I, like another very scary process to go through. It, it is if you don't know what you're doing. If you're doing something for the first time, I think it's always a bit scary, especially mm. when it involves the family. You know, you know, you mm. just. If you've worked so hard to to create a family, you're 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 really passionate. I think. Well, I mean, people are passionate about their children anyway. But but you know what I mean. I think if it, if there are a lot of barriers to overcome first before you can get to the point of having a family, it's, mm-hmm. it's something else. But yeah, you, so you have to go through this process, parental order, and you have to. There is a court appointed social worker who examines your, your circumstances and asks loads of questions about your finances and how you're going to bring up the child and, you know, your relationships and, and everything else. And that, that social worker produces a report for the judge as well as all your evidence. And then you have to get statements from your surrogate in, in, the, in the US or your surrogates in the US as well and from the agency and from the doctor and from the hospital Do you know if this is something that heterosexual couples who do surrogacy also have to do? They do. They do. Because what we have done since then is we've helped. I've lost track, probably a dozen or more couples, both straight and, and gay, and we've helped them through. And I know it's exactly the same. And it's it's one of the most rewarding things we've been able to do is to help people through the process and point in the right direction, you know, including, including my best, best, best gay friend, you know. We've helped them through all of this, you know. And I I think it's really it's really important if you can share what you've gone through and help people to plan and, and be reassured as well. It's it's yeah. great. So it is exactly the same process. To be fair, it's not it's not prejudicial against you know the LGBTQ community at all. It's everyone if you've gone through surrogacy, and I suppose they're really doing it to prevent you know babies being shipped all over the place. You know, sure. uh, which, which does happen. So it is right that I think it's right that there's a process, mm. but I'm, I don't. I think it should be possible for anyone who wants to do it to do it, and it's mm-hmm. actually not that easy. So. so, so after you've gone through all of this, all of yeah. this experience as a closeted gay man, as an out gay man, and as a father, what would be your advice to other closeted folks who are in communities or jobs that stigmatize being gay? My advice would be be yourself, be true to yourself and and your friends and your family and have the courage to come out and, and tell people who you are and, and what you want to do with your life and, and maybe seek help. I think seeking help in advance of that is, you know, I had a friend who helped me come out to my family and actually I think someone hand-holding you 
through that process is the best thing possible. Maybe someone who's done it before mm. and who can guide you and provide the support. That's got to be the best thing. But don't don't delay on it at all. And it, wherever you are, I think you've got to fight against the prejudice and and the you know your 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 find and hatred actually. And I. I find it very difficult to understand why there is that hatred, and, and I don't I don't understand that on any on race, or sex, or sexuality ground. I don't understand where it comes from, really, mm. but it does exist, and I think you just have to be strong, and you know have conviction about this is what I'm going to do, and look at role models, read about role role models, you know, study some of the people who've done it, and, and you know you know like Elton John. And, and read about how they've done it. That's some great advice. Thank you so much for joining no us. No worries. Great.